today on CityCast Chicago. The AIDS epidemic during the 80s and 90s was marked by fear, discrimination, and misinformation about the disease and the communities it affected. But many patients found care and comfort in a somewhat unlikely place, Catholic nuns and priests. A new book out now shares stories of Catholics caring for people with AIDS in cities like Chicago. It's Thursday, December 9th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Michael O'Loughlin lives and attends church in Lincoln Park, and he's the author of Hidden Mercy, AIDS, Catholics, and the Untold Stories of Compassion in the Face of Fear. He spoke with CityCast Simone Alisea. You write about how your interest in researching the church's response to the AIDS epidemic is part of your own journey in understanding your identity as someone who's gay, as someone who's Catholic. Uh, Why was this the lens you wanted to use? How does studying this period help your understanding? As a gay Catholic today reporting on the Catholic Church, it felt kind of isolating. Like, who do I talk to about this? Do I have a place in the church? Uh, What role do LGBT people have in faith communities more broadly? But then a friend told me, no, you should check out the 80s and 90s because there was this moment in our history where the gay community and the Catholic Church were on a collision course. And there's a lot of wisdom and insight from that time that just hadn't been collected yet. With LGBT history in particular, it's just, it's not really, it's not passed down in families. We don't learn about it in schools often, definitely not in churches. And so there's this sense that LGBT history is always at risk of being forgotten unless you're intentional about seeking it out. And that was true of me, and I didn't know much about this time. Well, let's talk about the history. Can you take me back to the 80s and 90s and summarize the church's institutional stance toward HIV and AIDS at the time? In the 1980s and 1987, a Pew Research poll found that 43% of Americans agreed that AIDS might be a punishment from God for immoral behavior. 43%. 43%, yeah, a a huge number. When you think about uh, shame and stigma that accompanied HIV, you can see kind of that being reflected in statistics. And at the same time, which is what I get into in the book, there were individual Catholics doing really heroic HIV and AIDS ministry, priests and nuns who were setting up hospices, volunteering at AIDS wards and Catholic hospitals, providing assistance with groceries or cooking and cleaning to people suffering from HIV and AIDS. So there was this dichotomy of an institution that was pretty homophobic and fought pretty vigorously against gay rights, while at the same time, individual members saying, no, the suffering we're encountering compels us to do something. That's what we're called to as Christians. That tension is like very, very central throughout the book. And I'm curious, you know, how did this play out in cities? Uh, you, you talk especially about San Francisco and New York, which were hit early and hard by the AIDS epidemic. But I'm curious how it also played out in cities like Chicago. Here in the city, I, I think you had an interesting dynamic with the Catholic Church, especially where there was a leader here, uh, the late Cardinal Joseph Bernadine, who was more moderate in his political views and sort of sought compromises. So he did do things that angered the gay community. Uh, like a lot of Catholic leaders, he fought against gay civil rights measures. But rather than kind of come down hard like leaders in New York, he decided that church could be a partner in this fight against HIV. And he supported Catholic ministries here that uh, did some of the work I talked about earlier. Can you talk a little bit about how some of these Catholic-run hospitals, how they factored into this? How were they treating patients suffering from HIV and AIDS? 
Yeah, one of the things to consider about uh, 1980s and 90s was that Catholic healthcare was a huge presence on the national scene. So perhaps 20% of patients being treated in hospitals in the U.S. were in a Catholic uh, healthcare setting. So there was this sense that in order to be an effective ally in the fight against HIV, Catholic healthcare really had to step up. And there are some good examples of Catholic hospitals doing just that. Uh, here in Chicago, you had uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in Boys Town that had an HIV and AIDS clinic attached to it. Down in uh, Belleville, Illinois, um, I profile a Catholic sister, uh, Sister Carol Baltashevitz, who was an ER and ICU nurse. And she and another nun end up moving to New York for six months immersing themselves in the gay community, volunteering on an AIDS hotline, working on the AIDS wards at St. Clair's. And then she moves home and opens sort of a hybrid clinic, drop-in resource center, and really becomes an advocate for the uh, small uh, LGBT community in Belleville that needed HIV and AIDS care and sort of connects them to doctors. Yeah. And what, you know, worth noting too, especially at a time when even some nurses and other medical professionals would re request not to work with AIDS patients. Um, you know, one of the stories that you tell about Sister Carol was, uh, you know, visiting someone she, in a hospital room that she'd helped, you know, get that room for him. And, you know, he had been left sort of no one had cleaned the room or cleaned his sheets in in several days and she had to be the one to go and do that because he was being neglected in the hospital yeah i mean part of that uh stigma and uh fear i mean there was a lot of fear uh especially early on because people didn't know how hiv was spread but it resulted in horribly abusive treatment in hospitals where patients would be ignored so people like sister carol who uh, were willing to go in and clean up literally when they had to, or even just hold someone's hand and say a prayer. Those were uh, deeply meaningful moments. It, it's a good reminder that uh, the shame and stigma permeated even hospital settings. You know, you sort of listed what some of what's involved in AIDS ministry, but but could you get into more specifics? Like, what were the experiences folks involved in this ministry were having? What what were how were they serving these communities? So in the book, I profile uh, a man named Stephen Martz, who was mm -hmm. a Catholic seminarian uh, back in the 80s. Uh, today, he's an Episcopal priest. But he was uh, started uh, volunteering with a group uh, called the AIDS Pastoral Care Network here in Chicago. And he tells the story about how his job at the time really was to simply spend time with, uh, at the time, mostly young gay men who were suffering from HIV or AIDS. And the, the reality was a lot of isolation. Um, people who grew sick were stigmatized by wired society. But even early on in the gay community, there was this sense of shame or fear that would lead to a lot of isolation. And he would visit uh, homebound young men in their 20s who were uh, cut off from their families in many cases, who were, had been cut off from their friend groups, and simply spend time with them. It wasn't glamorous work by any means, but there's a story in the book where he... Uh, befriended a young man who only had a couple of weeks left. He was pretty sick at that point and simply showed up every day. And he, for a while, he was the only one uh, visiting this person regularly, kind of the only connection left with the outside world. And of course, uh, one day when he showed up, uh, there was no answer and the young man had died and uh, Steve helped prepare his body to be uh, taken away and buried. And it was sort of that very gentle, quiet ministry that wasn't glamorous at all, but it was necessary to provide dignity to people in their final moments. What really struck me was just the fact that so many of the people with, who were HIV positive or, or who had AIDS sought out the spiritual guidance as well. And, and how in many ways the, you know, 
the church's people who are in the church are poised to to provide that guidance. It struck me just given how much tension there was institutionally at how how much it made sense for these these people to provide that ministry. The reality of HIV and AIDS was that because of who it affected early on, there was this sense that you weren't welcome in your faith community. So at the Mm -hmm. exact moment when you could have relied on spiritual resources or spiritual leaders, you were being told, no, you don't have a home here. I talk in the book about a... um, AIDS uh, vigil at uh, St. Mm-hmm. Clement's Church here in Chicago. And it brought together all these different parts of the community, um, sort of the mainstream gay groups, but then also uh, International Mr. Leather, this leather pageant that took place in Chicago every year, uh, along with Catholic priests and nuns. So it was this real amalgamation of different groups who might not uh, be natural allies coming together to say, how can we provide for the spiritual resources of this community? We'll be right back. You talked about how in Chicago that le- church leaders here took sort of a more nuanced approach, but were there any big conflicts or, or showdowns um, that happened here? There were, and I, I don't want to minimize that. Uh, so the big kind of famous protests happened in New York with groups like ACT UP taking on Cardinal John O'Connor protesting in St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, but there were events here as well. Um, ACT UP certainly had a presence in Chicago and protested the Catholic Church on occasion. Uh, groups like Dignity, which was a gay and lesbian Catholic group, uh, which was evicted from Catholic spaces in the 1980s, uh, they also protested the Cardinal because they didn't see his, his overtures to the gay community as sincere because he wasn't going far enough to be welcoming. So even though I think there was um, maybe a more Midwest nice approach to some of the conflict (laughs) in New York, it was still very present. One of the stories in the book that struck me is that you, you know, sort of undertook this research in part to, to understand your own identity. And while you were researching the book, separately, you found that your own parish in Lincoln Park had sort of played a role in trying to create a more inclusive Catholic Church. I mean, how what was it like to to make that discovery in the midst of doing this research about uh, the AIDS crisis? My husband and I are both Catholic, and we kind of discovered this parish in Lincoln Park called St. Teresa of Avila. And it was intentional that the LGBT community feel welcome because of a priest back in the 1980s uh, named Father Jim Noon, who made a special outreach to uh, the LGBT community. He actually was one of uh, the first priests to acknowledge uh, that he was HIV positive. When he died, uh, he insisted that his funeral mass include acknowledgement that he died from AIDS-related complications. It was an attempt to help others uh, suffering with HIV and AIDS uh, to let them know they weren't alone and also to help lessen the stigma. So that notion that the fight is uh, perpetual to keep making these spaces uh, safe and welcoming for LGBT people, it's not something that uh, is just going to happen. People have to keep fighting for that. And part of that fight is learning the history. We talked about the church's stance during the height of the AIDS epidemic more recently, Pope Francis actually wrote you a letter about your research, including a blessing for those who who did help during the crisis. How significant is that and how far has has the church come? I think the church has come a long way. Uh, I tend to get some criticism on that view from LGBT (laughs) activists who wish it would go farther, and I understand that completely. But I, it was interesting. There's a, a 
a priest in the book, an openly gay priest named Father Bill McNichols, who uh, did HIV and AIDS activism in New York. And I actually asked him if he thought things were better today because he came out in the late 70s, early 80s and faced um, a lot of uh, pushback and kind of got a lot of abuse and hate mail. And I thought maybe it's better today because you have a pope who seems to be a little more welcoming than uh, the, his two predecessors. And he said he actually thinks it's harder today, that the church, hmm. even though it, there seems to be a more welcoming tone, there is sort of this uh, empowered right wing that has a very uh, dim view of homosexuality. So like I said, it's an ongoing battle, I think, for LGBT people of faith in any tradition, but especially the Catholic Church. To that end, how can the church go further? One is simply to uh, listen to the LGBT Catholic community. What do we like to be called? Uh, saying gay Catholic is a revolutionary thing that uh, Pope Francis is the first pope to use the word gay. There's some jargony Catholic language that's much more uh, clinical and dismissive. Putting LGBT people in parish leadership spots, showing that they can be valuable parts of the community as well. Um, not firing LGBT people from Catholic institutions when they get married or come out. Um, there are seemingly simple things that can make a big difference. We've alluded to this a couple times, you know, many of the LGBT people you've interviewed um, have sort of varying relationships with the church, people who stuck with it, people who left and came back, people who left for good. You seem to have a pretty optimistic uh, view. Why do you stay in the church? Yeah, that's a question I've been working through for a number of years. And kind of the whole <laughs> thread of the book is why am I part of this institution, even knowing this history, uh, which I think is actually quite empowering and inspiring. And it, part of it's cultural. I grew up Catholic. My family's Catholic. I feel at home there. Uh, part of it is uh, spiritual, though. This is where I feel the deepest connection to God, where the Eucharist kind of connects me to the transcendent. And I haven't found that elsewhere. Partly it's my church. I'm a baptized member of the church, and I, I reluctant to let anyone tell me that I don't belong here. So maybe part of it's just my kind of Irish stubbornness. But <laughs> <laughs> for now, I'm here, and I hope that these stories help others uh, feel like they can be here as well. Michael O'Loughlin is the author of Hidden Mercy, AIDS, Catholics, and the Untold Stories of Compassion in the Face of Fear. Thank you so much again for joining CityCast Chicago. Thanks for having me. O'Loughlin will be at the Catholic Theological Union tomorrow night talking about the book. I'll find a link in the show notes. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. A casino could be coming to South Suburban Homewood and Hazelcrest by 2023. State regulators picked the towns for a shared 64,000-square-foot facility off I-80 in Halstead. You ever wonder what Illinois is doing with its $560 million in weed tax revenue? Yeah, me too. My boy Tom Schuba over at the Chicago Sun-Times has got all the answers. You can check out his piece at a link in the show notes. And some good news to get you through. Santa and Mrs. Claus will be stopping by Lakeview tonight for Wrigleyville Wonderland. They're not dropping off presents just yet, but there will be sing-alongs, ice sculptures, and specials and giveaways starting at 5 o'clock. Thanks for listening. Peace. Goodbye. Going down to Texas, talk about some rich city skate.